Well, we are continuing this morning in the season of Lent. We're coming close to the end of the season, that season of, of reflection, of repentance. And I hope it has been a season filled with that for you. As you have reflected on the, the stones that we throw in our world and in our lives, and the call that we have to be stone catchers. That has been our, our theme throughout this season, combining together the, the story of Jesus and, and the woman caught in adultery when the, the Pharisees brought her to Jesus and he told them, well, those without sin cast the first stone. Jesus showed us what it is to be a stone catcher instead of a stone thrower. And we looked at, at the book by Brian Stevenson, Just Mercy, who in his work as a social justice attorney talks about what it is to be a stone catcher in his life and in his work. And he says in his book that it is a powerful statement of our faith, a transformative statement of our faith to stand in the way and catch the stones that are being thrown at those around us. There's a, a church member who loves this book so much, he actually donated two copies. So if anyone wants to read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, let me know. I've got two copies available, and we'll share and disperse as needed. It's an incredible book. So we've looked together over these past few weeks about the stones that we throw. We, we consider the stones of exclusion and how we push people aside, but Consider the fact that Jesus, as the stone catcher, goes to the table, the table, the, the central act of our faith, and says, all are welcome here. We talked about the stones of silence when, when we try to silence the voices of those we don't agree with or, or those that annoy us or those that anger us. And the stones we throw when we try to ignore other people. And the fact that Jesus calls us to be stone catchers in the way we listen and in the ways we speak up. Last week, we joined together in one combined worship service and talked about the stones of greed. And instead of just talking about the stones of greed and what it means to catch those stones, we actually did it, right? We joined together in, in mission projects that served our community. And together we assembled nearly 600 different items that would go to ministries like Family Promise to help families in housing transition, to help Must Ministries who seeks to serve the homeless in our community. And we assembled blessing bags at one station to keep in our cars for when we happen to be driving down the road and see someone homeless on the side of the street, a way that we could help. There are still boxes of blessing bags out in the lobby area, and I hope that you'll take one or two with you as you go today to keep in your car and to be able to hand out as you go through your day. So this morning, after the stones of exclusion and of silence and of greed, we turn to a last stone, the stones of status quo. I admit I had a hard time 
naming and labeling this last stone as I was planning the sermon series. I knew the scripture passage I wanted to use. I knew the the direction I wanted to go. But how do you name the the stones we throw when when we put the rules above people? When we put order and keeping the peace above compassion and, and making peace in our communities. And so as I, I struggled with this, I, I eventually came to the stones of status quo. What I mean by that is simply the, the status quo, right? The status quo is keeping everything as it is. Keeping things calm, keeping things neutral, following all the rules, both written and unwritten, sticking to the status quo. Now, on the surface, that sounds all well and good, right? It keeps things easy. It avoids conflict. It helps us to know our our place in the world. It helps us to know what's expected of us and what's expected of other people. Let's just stick to the status quo. I'm afraid, though, that sometimes sticking to the status quo can bring more harm than good, especially for those whose status is less than desirable, those in our community who fall on the, on the margins of society, those whose maybe lives on the surface look less than good or healthy or even holy. How might sticking to the status quo really be throwing stones at others and saying, you stay where you are and I'll stay where I am and that's good. As a people of faith, I'm afraid we are really good at the stones of status quo. In fact, we have this whole book that's full of rules and laws and expectations of how we are to live. And too often, I'm afraid, we start to elevate these rules and laws instead of embracing the the love and the grace and the compassion that's at the heart of this book. We start to throw the stones of status quo when we quote and cite the rules and the laws without first looking one another in the eye and seeing the image of the divine. Without first looking one another in the eye and saying, tell me your story and I'll tell you mine. Without first considering that the one to whom we quote the rules and laws is just as much a child of God as we are. In fact, I think throwing stones of status quo, uh, sticking to the status quo as a people of faith, it actually inhibits our ability to follow in the way of Jesus. Because the way of Jesus is all about turning things upside down. The way of Jesus 
is all about taking the black and white nature of the status quo and introducing a whole lot of gray. The way of Jesus is not about keeping things calm and neutral, but about transformation and new life that can be lived. So this morning, as we consider the the stones of status quo and the way of Jesus, we're turning to the Gospel of Luke, the sixth chapter, to hear how Jesus himself decided to rock the boat and challenge the status quo. Luke 6. One Sabbath, as Jesus was going through the wheat fields, his disciples were picking the heads of wheat, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. Some Pharisees said, why are you breaking the Sabbath law? Jesus replied, haven't you read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? He broke the law by going into God's house and eating the bread of presents, which only the priests can eat. He also gave them some of the bread of his companions. Then he said to them, the human one is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered a synagogue to teach, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. The legal experts and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They were looking for a reason to bring charges against him. Jesus knew their thoughts, so he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. He got up and stood there. Jesus said to the legal experts and the Pharisees, Here's a question for you. Is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he did, and his hand was made healthy. They, the Pharisees, were furious and began talking with each other about what to do to Jesus. Now these Sabbath practices and laws, they were known and followed by all of the Jewish faith. And Jesus, being a Jew himself, knew this. He knew what was expected, what they were to do, and especially what they were to not do on the Sabbath. You could not engage in in business transactions. You could not cook. You could not harvest. You could not work. The list goes on and on and on of what you could not do on the Sabbath. It was a day of rest, and the people acknowledged it as such. But here comes Jesus, who knows the rules, who knows the laws, and seems to knowingly and without much concern blatantly break the rules. The Pharisees, they catch him harvesting grain, something that was strictly prohibited, and yet Jesus allows it. In response to the Pharisees, he even says what every teacher and parent dreads when someone is in trouble, right? Why did you do that? Well, David did it. (laughs) Why can't I? I almost expect the Pharisees to go, well, if David jumped off a bridge, would you? (laughs) But then Luke tells us this was not a one-time occurrence. 
Another Sabbath comes along and Jesus again breaks the rules. He heals a man's withered hand. That is work, the Pharisees say, and work is strictly forbidden. Again, Jesus has violated the law. His actions go against what's expected not only of him, but of all people of Jewish faith. And not only does he break the rules, he even goes a step farther and challenges these religious leaders. The religious elite challenges their understanding of the rules and the laws, challenges them, challenges the status quo. In the eyes of the Pharisees, the rules were simple. You could not work on the Sabbath. You could not treat illness or deformity or disability, none of it. There was one caveat, that was if it was life-threatening. If something was happening that was life-threatening, then yes, an exception could be made. But here we see it's just a man's withered hand, surely not life-threatening. But did you notice that Luke is specific in telling us that it was the man's right hand that was withered? Now, in that time and culture, the, the right hand is what was used for work. It's what was used for gesturing. It's what was used for greeting other people. The left hand, well, that was used for bodily functions, for, for cleaning yourself. And so for this man to have a withered right hand meant that everything he did, he had to do with his left hand. Maybe not life-threatening, but shaming and causing him to be an outcast. And so Jesus heals him, heals his hand. And by doing so, calls into question all that the religious elite understood about what was good and right and true on the Sabbath. I love the, the question that Jesus asks in one of these encounters. Did you catch it? He says to the Pharisees, is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save a life? Or to destroy it. In asking the question, Jesus lets the Pharisees know that, that he's not trying to, to throw out all the rules and laws. He's not there to embrace anarchy. But he wants to reframe those rules and laws, to, to make them a little bit broader. Instead of pointing out every single unlawful act or practice, Jesus says, is it legal to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Now, in the eyes of the Pharisees, a withered hand, it didn't destroy life and healing it didn't save life. But Jesus, Jesus, the one who came to bring life and life abundant, he says, yes. To heal this hand is to save a life. To heal this hand 
is to do good and not evil. Jesus, in all his interactions, he questions the status quo, challenging our our understanding of the rules and the laws, inviting us to consider a new way of living. A way of living, not just that's about the Sabbath, but it's about all the rules and the laws. Jesus says at the end of this passage we read that, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. The human one is Lord of the Sabbath. In essence, he's saying that he's not only the one who determines what it means to to practice Sabbath keeping, but he is the one through whom all understanding of all the rules and the laws must be understood. If we want to follow the rules of the faith, then we must follow in the words and the actions of Jesus. Who came not to abolish the law, who came not to lift up the law, but who came to fulfill the law for all of us. Now I know this struggle of of finding balance and and following the laws and, and following Jesus, it's a struggle the church continues to face, to continues. To deal with. Paul knew this. He knew it was a struggle for the early church. He even writes to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anyone else has reason to put their confidence in physical advantages, I have even more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am from the tr- people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. With respect to observing the law, I'm a Pharisee. With respect to devotion to the faith, I harassed the church. With respect to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless, he says. These things were my assets, but I wrote them off as a loss for the sake of Christ. But beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have lost everything for him. But what I lost, I think of as sewer trash, so that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says, everything that I have lived for, everything that I have thought was important, all the the ways that I sought to really live into the rules and the laws and the faith, I now throw out its sewer trash. Because I have found Christ. And I want to live in him. Everything else, all that was important, pales in comparison to a life that follows Christ. That's been my experience in life and in faith. That when our our lists of what is important compared to what we know about Christ, when those don't exactly match, 
When our list of no's becomes bigger than our list of yeses. When we start to put rules and laws over and against people and experiences. When our desire to keep things the same, when it overtakes our desire to wonder about how Christ is at work in our world. When all those things start to come about, when we try and work so hard to stick to the status quo, God becomes a little smaller. And we become a little bigger. When we try to stick to the status quo, to to throw those stones of status quo, we fail to remember that God is God and we are not. Why don't we then try to be stone catchers instead? Stone catchers that recognize the greatness of God and who we are as the children of God. Why don't we try to be stone catchers that instead of asking what is legal, ask what is good? Stone catchers that instead of fighting to keep things the way they are, live and work for transformation in our world. Stone catchers that instead of living by the rules, live by Jesus. People of faith, may we stop throwing the stones and make a powerful statement about our faith to stand in the way and to catch the stones that are thrown by seeking after by knowing, by loving, by living for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.